Oh, Lord God, we just sing to you, God, and we worship you. We bow down to you, our cornerstone, the Lord of all. Lord, thank you that through the storm you are there. You are our maker. You are the powerful one. You're the sovereign one, Lord. And God, we just sing holy to you as we've been singing. We pray that right now as we bow our hearts to you and worship you. I ask God that you bless your word now. Lord, as we open up your word and we come to seek and study your word, that you would speak to us too, Lord. So may your spirit continue to work and minister to our hearts right now. And we ask you bless our study, bless your word, bless the rest of this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening. Welcome, you guys, to Upcountry Calvary. If you can grab your Bibles, open them up to Acts. Acts chapter 14, Acts 14, and we will continue our study here through this book, the book of Acts, Acts 14. You know, from the Bible, we know that Moses was the meekest man on the earth. In Numbers 12, verse 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who are on the face of the earth. So we know Moses is known for that. Moses, the prophet, Moses, who led Israel. Moses, who God used in such a great and mighty way, that he is known as the meekest man of the earth. But, but what does that mean? What, does, what is meek? Well, I've been taught through the years that meekness is not weakness, but power under control. Today in our society, in the world, if we hear meekness, we think of someone who's, who's weak and who talks kind of like this and soft and everything. But no, meekness is actually something different when we look at it in the Bible. Let me say that again. Meekness is not weakness, but power under control. Jeffrey B. Wilson, this commentator, pastor, he said this. He put it this way. Meekness is the mark of the man who has been mastered by God. I like that. Someone who is surrendered under the control of God, doing God's will. So the meek person has fully surrendered to the will of God. So we've got to remember that and think about that when we talk about meekness. And along with that, though, meekness flows through the Holy Spirit, through the fruit of the Holy Spirit being produced in us. Remember what the fruits of the Spirit are, right? Galatians 5, 22 through 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, uh, uh, patience, sorry, I got ahead of myself. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But think about that. Self-control, that fruit from the Spirit, is one of the main things that help us keep that power under control. Many years ago, Chuck Norris, the martial arts expert, everyone knows, yeah, an actor. He's done maybe many movies, TV series. Well, he had finished a long day of work on the set. He went out to dinner, and then at, when he sat down, a man came up to his table. And this man looked at him and said, you're sitting in my booth. Well, Norris didn't like his tone, but he got up and moved anyway. And moved to another seat. And then that same man walked up to him and said, Hey, you're, you're Chuck Norris, right? And Norris said, Yeah. Well, you could have kicked me, but you didn't. Well, Chuck Norris, he held back and just started to talk story with him. And they ended up becoming friends. I think that's a good definition of meekness, power under control. He could have easily used his talents, as we know, uh, on the internet, there's all kinds of Chuck Norris jokes, right? But he didn't. He, shared, he showed that patience. He showed that kindness and gentleness. Well, that's what meekness can do. You know what? 
meekness actually furthers the kingdom. It's part of who we are as followers of Christ and believers. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And he's talking about meekness furthering the kingdom of God. Tonight, as we get back into Acts chapter 14, we find this character in Paul and Barnabas as they are in the city of Lystra now sharing Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that coming out here. So I've titled our message tonight, Meekness in Missionaries. Meekness in Missionaries. We're going to be studying Acts chapter 14 from verse 8 through 20, taking this next section. Now, uh, the, the missionaries are Paul and Barnabas. Remember, we're, we're going through this story, this account from Luke of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey where they went out. So that's why our title is Meekness in Missionaries. Now, our outline tonight, we're going to see four things. We're going to find out about what this meekness is and what's in these missionaries, Paul and Barnabas. And there's four things. Number one is always ready. Number two is always humble. Number three is always about God. And number four is always undeterred. And these are the characteristics that we're going to see in Paul and Barnabas and and what we find really helps us understand what meekness is. So let's begin. Meekness and missionaries, our title once again. Number one, first thing we're going to see is always ready. Always ready. Now, we're going to be looking at... uh, Chapter 14 in this section from verse 8 through 10 in this section. So let's take a look at that right now. Acts 14 verse 8. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well said in a loud voice, verse 10, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Well, here is Paul and Barnabas. They're in the city of Lystra now. Remember, we've been following them when they left. Antioch there in in the Palestine, Syria area. They went on that boat, went to the island of Cyprus, right? Uh, uh, Did some ministry there, then traveled up to another port, Pisidia, or or they went to Perga and then traveled 100 miles north to Pisidia, Antioch, there up in that area. And then they ended up in Iconium. And remember, they escaped with their lives, basically, uh, after some Jews poisoned other Jews and Gentiles against them. So last time we saw them, they had left Iconium, and now they're in Lystra, and there they began to minister. Now, we find them in Lystra, and Lystra is about 18 miles from Iconium. And Lystra is actually, just a note, that's where Timothy is from. Remember, Timothy becomes his protege, his, his main assistant. Um, we find in, in the book of Timothy that uh, Timothy's mom, Eunice, and the grandmother, Lois. So we're going to see more in chapter 16, but that, that's where they're actually from. So here Paul and Barnabas arrive there in Lystra. Now, most commentators believe there's probably a small Jewish community. And we'll see as, as the passage unfolds that he, Paul ends up really addressing the Gentiles. And it doesn't seem he's in a synagogue. Maybe he is, but so many believe it's a super small Jewish community. And so perhaps this puts Paul out on the street preaching Jesus Christ. So here's Paul and Barnabas. They're in Lystra. They're in the city now. They're there. And they arrived there, and Paul, of course, on his mission journey, starts to share Jesus Christ. Well, as he's sharing, it says here in verse 1, Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting there who could not use his feet. He, it, it, ever since from birth, something happened. He, it says he was crippled here, and he had never walked. So there's a man there in that way. Now, in that society, remember, in the ancient times, 
if you, if you were, were, were unable to walk like that, if you're handicapped in that way, you know what? You're probably begging, and you're probably, uh, you don't have any money. Maybe it's, uh, if you have family you're taking care of, but perhaps he's there uh, on the street, or perhaps he's lying there begging. But either way, verse 9 tells us that he listened to Paul speaking. So he's listening to the word going forth. He's listening to this message about Jesus, about Paul preaching. Well, as Paul is speaking here, it says in verse 9, it says, Paul looked intently at this guy who is crippled and seeing that he had faith to be made well. Now that's very interesting here. Paul, as he's preaching, he's looking at that guy and he's like, Whoa, and he's really looking. And then seeing that he had faith to be made well, that he can tell that he had faith. How did he know that? Well, it was the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit was giving him discernment about this guy. I think as Paul is speaking, all of a sudden Paul's like, whoa, there's something about this guy. There's something about this man here. And he's looking at him, and it's God prompting him. And then I believe the Holy Spirit revealed to Paul and, and that not only, this is what I feel, that not only did the man have this faith in believing who Jesus Christ is, but he also believed that Jesus had the power to heal him. I think it was all, all both things all together. So with the Holy Spirit revealing the faith of this man, Then Paul, in verse 10, said in a loud voice, he shouted it out, Stand upright on your feet. And immediately he sprang up and he began walking. Amazing. This guy has never walked before. Ever since birth, he lost that ability to walk. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, the man was instantly healed. Now we know Paul, right? We've we've been... Uh, seeing this or even in the last chapter that God had empowered Paul, right? That the Holy Spirit was in Paul and Barnabas and uh, we read their signs and miracles, wonders happening through his hand. Well, here's one specific thing that Luke wrote about that we see how God used Paul in a powerful way and that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about that before in the last chapter. I like something that Paul had written in Ephesians 3.20. He wrote, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. So that power at work within us, it's God, right? It's the Holy Spirit. When we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and, and dwells inside us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And with the Spirit inside us, the Spirit can empower us. The Spirit can help us. The Spirit grows us. The Spirit matures us. The fruit of the Spirit come out. But we need to be submitted to the Spirit for His power to really be evident. And we know that in our studies in the Bible. So so what, what I want you to understand here is here's Paul now. He's preaching Jesus. Then suddenly God like prompts him. Hey, look at that man. Are you looking at me? Yeah, I'm looking at you. And, and that, hey, this guy, he, he, he has faith. And maybe the Holy Spirit showed him. Maybe it was in his eyes. But the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He has faith. He believes. And, and he has faith that, that Jesus can heal him. And so Paul, by the leading and guiding of the Spirit now, then speaks, and then the man is healed. But understand now, Paul, Paul, can you imagine? Paul's just preaching away, and all of a sudden, in the middle of it, he's interrupted. He interrupts his own message and said, Stand up, walk. You know, stand upright. What did he say? Um, stand upright on your feet. Wouldn't that be crazy to see? Can you imagine Paul, though, in himself? Well, wait, Lord. I'm in the middle of a message here. I, I got to finish my point, you know. But no, Paul is what? Submitted to the control of the Spirit. And being submitted 
Two, the control of the Spirit. We know He's filled with the Spirit, and He's filled with that power and that ability through God to be able to do God's work by healing this man, speaking, and God healing this man. So understand this, Paul and Barnabas, these are guys who who walked in the Spirit, so to speak, who were filled and empowered in the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want you to see. Paul was always ready to, to flow in the power of the Spirit because he lived under the control of the Spirit. That's what I want you to see. Paul is always ready. Paul is always ready for whatever God wants him to do, whatever the Spirit says. And, and here, it's, to me, it's a crazy thing. He's speaking. All of a sudden, stand up, you know. Stand, be upright. Get on your feet. Because Paul was always ready in that flow, in the power of the Spirit, because he lived under the control of the Spirit. And let me tell you, that's how we need to live. We need to live a life walking in the Spirit, in connected with the Spirit, in tune with the Spirit. And what Paul says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians 5, when he writes that, it's the, the original language really is be filled and be continually filled in the Spirit. And the idea of being filled with the Spirit, it really is, is we surrender control. It's being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And with that, we're empowered by the Spirit to, you know what, do things we could, we could never think we could ever do above what we uh, far ab- abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That's the kind of life that God wants to give us, that God w- wants us to live. That's the kind of life in Him. So you know what? Being submitted and filled with the Spirit, that means we're always ready to do whatever God will want us to do. And Paul's an example of that. What happened right here is an example of that. You know, I, I, I think sometimes we panic, right? Like, we know God is giving us a, an opportunity. Oh, they asked me to pray for the meal at our family dinner. Oh, okay, God. All right, whew. Yeah, I'm going to be a witness for you, but what am I going to say? I don't know what to do. And we get all nervous, right? Or maybe... You're going to meet someone, a friend, and you just feel on your heart that God is prompting you. Hey, I want you to share Jesus. And, and we can be filled with fear and we can panic in a sense that, oh no, I got to pray. And then for the first time in months, you're like praying for 30 minutes. <laughs> right? We, 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 we do that, right? We, we think, oh, I got to prepare. I feel like I got to, well, I better straighten my heart out. I better, okay, oh, I got to power up. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Power me up. Power me up. All of a sudden, we're just so desperate. But not Paul here. Could you imagine Paul? Imagine Paul and God is prompting him, hey, I want you to, you know, just speak and say, stand upright and get on your feet. And could you imagine Paul said, oh, wait, Lord, I got to pray eight hours before that. I can do that. Hold on, everyone. Just wait a minute. And he walks away. No, he was always ready. He was already ready, we can say, because he walked in the Spirit. He walked under the control of the Holy Spirit. And if God wanted to interrupt and heal a man, here's Paul. I'm ready to do whatever you want. And, and he wasn't scared. He didn't panic. I think God is calling us to be ready. And what I mean is be ready by being in the Spirit. Be ready by being filled in the Spirit, you guys. I want to remind you of that tonight. That's how we operate, being filled with the Holy Spirit. How are we filled? Well, put yourself under the control of the Spirit. Paul said in Galatians 5, is the works of the flesh is this, and he makes this whole list. It's like, don't walk in the flesh no more, but be walking in the Spirit. Let the Spirit be your guide. Let the Spirit be your power. Let the Spirit fill you in that way. All right, so we see with these missionaries, we see this power that's there. And remember, 
meekness is power under control. Well, this is it. Paul is submitted to the Holy Spirit. And the empowering God has given Paul is submitted to the control of God. All right, number two now is always humble. Always humble. We've seen always ready and always humble is next. Verse 11 through 14 here. Let's read this. It says, And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying it like Lycaonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, or the messengers, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out. And we'll get to what they cried out in our next section. Now, when the people saw this healing, I mean, this was amazing. They know this guy, right? They know this man. He's, he's probably been begging there on the street. Everyone knows him, walks by him ever since birth. He couldn't walk. And here comes Paul preaching. And all of a sudden, uh, Paul shouts, and this guy is healed. Now he's, he's walking. He's leaping. He's jumping. He's moving around. And so this is, this is a miracle. This, this is like nothing like this has ever happened in Lystra. And so everyone's like, whoa, whoa. And they went crazy. And how did they, did they go crazy? Well, when they saw what Paul had done, verse 11, they lifted up their voices. They're just shouting. And now they're shout, shouting in their language and, and Lycaonian. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. The gods have come down in human form. And then in the, in the next verse, they call Barnabas Zeus. Maybe Zeus was taller remember that description last week of Paul being you know kind of short bald head unibrow kind of crooked bow-legged leg kind of guy maybe it wasn't good to look at but maybe Barney was you know then oh you know Barney's little oh he must be the Zeus guy right and then they they call Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker well the Greek god of of Hermes Greek god Hermes was the god of speech and Paul was the one who spoke, right, of the two. So then the local priest there, uh, uh, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the entrance of the city, he ran, brought oxen, garlands to the gates, and that's where Paul was probably at and preaching at the street there at the gates. And they wanted to offer sacrifice to them as they worshiped them as these gods. So, why now did Lystra, the city, the people there, why did they get so fanatical here? Why did they go so crazy, right? I mean, I, I, I mean, at first read, we're like, oh yeah, okay, these people, yeah, this city, but, but something's going on here, and you know what it is. The local legend in Lystra is this. There's a local legend that the Greek gods, Zeus, and Hermes had showed up incognito to Lystra, like in human form. Well, they went around. They were asking for some food and some lodging. Well, everyone in the city rejected them. Like, no, that, totally refused them, except for this couple named Philemon and his wife, Baucis. And they were the only ones who, who took them in and gave them food. Well, in vengeance, these Greek gods brought a flood and, and killed everybody except this couple who took care of them. Well, their little cottage right outside the city gates there, it turned into a temple. That's where Zeus's temple was built. And then when this couple died, there was, uh, the legend says, see those two trees? They turned into these two trees. And so that's why they're looking at this miracle as they're back. Zeus and Hermes, they're back. Like the legend says, they're back. And so we, we got to make right. We, we, can't, you know, we can't make that same mistake before. So that's why they made this big celebration, sacrifice, welcoming. They didn't want the same thing to happen that, that the local legend had talked about. 
So that kind of explains why they went crazy like this. That's why they picked Zeus and Hermes, right, to call Barnabas and Paul. Well, we find out here that when Barnabas and Paul heard it, like at first it was in like Kaonian, and probably someone translated or they figured out, oh, look what they're doing. I know what's going on. Maybe someone told them. When they finally figured it out, when they heard of it, they tore their garments um, what, that's a Jewish way of symbolically declaring blasphemy or, or desecration. In other words, what you're doing is wrong before God. It's, it's their Jewishness coming out saying, no, no, no. And, and then they rushed out into the crowd to tell him to talk to them. And we're going to get to that in the next section. So here's the city, Lystra, after the, the miracle that happened. They came to this wrong idea that Barnabas and Paul was, was something special. Someone really, really special. Now, I, I was thinking, it, Paul and Barnabas could have easily, hey, took that, yeah, and kind of lifted themselves up. I mean, isn't this Satan's temptation, right? We do some, God uses us in a great way, and then what? We get tempted in our pride for taking credit, yeah, for what God did for our own glory. It's a temptation in every human being yeah, that, oh, you know, wow, may, wow, they think we're something. Oh, wow, you know, and for, I think this, is, this could have been a temptation for them. I mean, it wasn't only a couple of chapters before this in Acts 12. Remember Herod? Remember the crowd was, oh, the voice of a, a God, not a man, right? And Herod took that glory, you know, of being God, and he got eaten by worms and died. So this is probably Satan coming in too, maybe perhaps tempting Paul and Barnabas, or, or maybe this. Paul could have turned to Barney, I call him Barney, but, and say, hey, you know, let's ride this. Let, let's go with this because, you know what, we can be something in this town and when we're on top, you know, then we share the gospel and everyone would really listen because we'll have this position. Everyone's ears and eyes will be upon us and they'll respect us in that way as like we're gods. But no matter the motive for the end goal, the means to that end is taking the glory from God. Paul and Barnabas didn't do any of those things. Paul and Barnabas, if anything, they, they didn't want fame from the world. They did not need popularity to share Jesus. That's not how it works. In, in our worldly, maybe our human thinking, we think that. But you know what? Paul and Barnabas relied on what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That's what we need. The Holy Spirit. So, we see here, these missionaries were always humble because of the reality of who they really are in Christ. And I say that because, you see, they know who they are. They're not these gods. They're not anything special. God is. Jesus is the one. The Holy Spirit is the power behind their words. Not them, not Paul. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2 that I didn't come with you with these words of wisdom and all eloquent and everything. No, I came with the power of the Spirit, the power of God. And so Paul, even though we may think, oh, Paul, just ride with it and then tell him about Jesus. Paul's like, no, that's not the way we do things. We're not going to take glory from God. We're going to do it the way God wants, and it's through the power of the Spirit. We're, we're, we're really nothing ourselves. And that's real humility, is understanding who you really are. That everything is God, and it's not so much you, but it's God working through you. It's been said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. I like that. I really, that's real humbleness. That's real 
humility. And so these missionaries were always humble because of the reality of who they really are in Christ. That it's all of God. It's not them. God's the one who saved them. Christ did the work on the cross, not themselves. The message is what Christ did. It's what the Holy Spirit did in changing them and giving them a new life. It's what God did in saving them. And it's what the Holy Spirit is working through them. Now, it's the Spirit of God. It's God doing this. So Paul and Barnabas, you could say, showed meekness here. Though they had that, that, that power of the Spirit, they didn't use that power for themselves. Yeah. They didn't make it about them. But you know what they made it? They made it about God. And that really leads us to the next thing, which number three, for them, it was always about God. It's always about God. You see, this meekness of missionaries are always ready, always humble. And now what we see next is always about God. Verse 15 through 18. uh, Let's take a look at a few verses here. Verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without, a wit- without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. We'll stop right there. All right, Paul and Barnabas, they didn't want to lift, be lifted up like this. So after tearing their clothes, running in the midst of them, they're like saying, why are you doing these things? You shouldn't do this, you guys. This isn't right because, you know, what? we are also men of like nature. We're not gods. We're human beings just like you. We are not Zeus. We are not Hermes. We're none of the gods or anything like that. We're, we're, we're like nature just like you. But you know why we're here? We're here to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. saying, look, we're just human beings. And we just want to share with you what happened to us. That we were saved by Jesus Christ. The gospel, the good news. And then he says, we're we're coming to you that you should turn from these vain things to the living God. The word vain is talking about empty or worthless. That you basically saying that you should... Uh, turn away from these worthless idols, these worthless Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes, but turn to the actual living God, the real God, the one true God, and He's the one who created everything, the heaven, the earth, the seas, and everything that is in in them, us, the plants, animals. This is the true God, the living God. And so he's trying to bring them into this, this, out of this, look at us, look at Paul and Barnabas, but to, hey, look at God. God's the one who sent us, the true and living God, the creator of everything. And then he says in verse 16, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. He said, you know, the living God, he allowed that, people to just do whatever they wanted to walk in their own ways and not follow them he didn't come down and judge him or destroy them he allowed people to do what they like but yet he did not leave himself without a witness in other words god didn't just well just go ahead go do whatever you want i'll be over here no god continued to to be a witness to call out to people, to show them that there is a creator, a living, true God that is out there. And how did he share this witness? Well, he did good to the people, even though they did whatever they want, even though they didn't really follow the true living God or even seek him. He did good by giving you rains from heaven or uh, from the sky, fruitful seasons like blessing their harvest and satisfying your hearts like giving you food 
and joy, gladness, you know, in your heart. A, a, a good life he's given you. This is the true God, this is what Paul is saying, that's been there for you this whole time. Even though you did whatever you want, he's been there for you. And now we've come, what? To bring you good news to show you Jesus. To talk to you about salvation and the forgiveness of sins. And that, that's what Paul is, is rolling into. God's been there all along. And so, he, notice Paul is taking them, their focus away from the Greek gods, uh, Zeus and Hermes. And he's trying to move them toward the living true God, the creator of the universe. Now, this is different, right, from what we've seen uh, in his sermon, the, the last chapter, where Paul was talking to Jews and he talked from the Old Testament, right? And he talked about uh, uh, what the prophet said and the Messiah and he led them to Jesus in that way. Well, here he's talking to the city mostly of Gentiles. So he's bringing, they don't know anything of the Old Testament. So he's meeting them where they're at and bringing them from this creation. There's a God, the true God who created everything and bringing them to Jesus Christ. Turn over to the right to um, Romans chapter 1. Paul addresses uh, how God has always shown a witness here. Romans chapter 1. Really in this passage, Paul is getting into how God is justified in his judgment because of how the world has really rejected God. Uh, and even though God's been, been revealing himself in creation. In verse 18, we can back up a little bit, but it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And what's the truth? Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. How is that plain? Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been what? Made so they are without excuse. So if you look at creation around us, right? How can we not but think there is God, that there is a creator? I remember years ago, an old um, friend of mine I had ran into that I grew up with and I was trying to witness to him and and he was sharing with me, no, I believe in God. I I was studying the eye, how an eye works. He goes, there's no way this could just come together. Right, And so if you look at creation, the glory of creation, it it shines out. There's a creator. There has to be a creator. So here's Paul preaching from that perspective of God. He's witness himself showing everyone that he's real and there is a living God. Take note. You can see then why Satan has put out that lie, right? The false truth and attacks uh, creation with that false truth of evolution because that brings God out of the picture. But we know evolution is not a fact. It's a theory, but not a fact. And many try to make it a fact. But if you really look into it, it doesn't make sense at all. So here's Paul bringing them into this uh, a view of God in this way. So I believe maybe it's not um, written here, but Paul probably shared a lot more here, you know, and, and I'm sure he went into talking about Jesus. So then back to Acts chapter 14, verse 18. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. So in other words, they barely got the people to stop lifting them up as gods. That's what Luke is writing here. But, but they did. They did. They got them to stop, to listen, to not focus on them, but to focus on God. 
And here's what I want you to see. These missionaries were always about God. It's always about God. Always about pointing to God. Always about pointing to Jesus. Paul and Barney, they didn't want the world's accolades. They didn't want their life to be about that. Oh, you guys are so great. Oh, you're... No, they wanted it all to be about Jesus. Easily, it, it could have been about them. They could have easily turned it and took it that way. But you can see Paul, they fought hard to keep it about God. They fought hard about that. I think we got to fight hard to make it about Jesus in our own lives. To make what we do about Jesus and not about me. Whether it's in a prideful way or whether it's in a self-looking uh, way. Like sometimes we look at ourselves so much and poor me, poor. And yeah, we have some real needs and all, but sometimes it's all that. But we miss that. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus in our life. Or when we're sharing with someone, yeah, it's good to share our heart and everything, um, but is it, in the end, turning to Jesus? And I think we've got to fight hard about that. And that's what Paul guys did here. These missionaries are always about God. So they're like, no, 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 not us. We're just human beings. No, look, look at creation. No, no. And they scarcely restrained the people. They, they, they got them to see it, but boy, it was a fight, you know them to see that it's about Jesus. I think we got to be like John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ? Remember remember when his, his own disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, came to, to John and said, John, people are following Jesus now. They're, 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 they're going to him now. And, and rem- um, remember John the Baptist John the Baptist, John the Baptist, right, um, uh, said, hey, remember what I told you? Remember, I'm not the Messiah, right? He's the Messiah. And, and, and I told you that, hey, it's never been about me, right? I, I, the, the bridegroom, I'm just a bridegroom. It's about, uh, 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 it's about the groom, right? Uh, uh, that's what it's about. And and this is the time for Jesus. That's what he told him. Now's the time for Jesus. And then in John 3.30, remember he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. That's meekness, you guys. When you make it about God, when you make it about Jesus. That's meekness. That's what true, it's not weakness. It's, no, I'm not making it about me anymore. I'm going to fight hard. I'm going to make it about Jesus. Not this thing or argue about this thing or, or we don't agree on this thing. No, I want to make it about Jesus. What does he want? What is God doing? I want to make it about God. So meekness in the missionaries. We see, number one, they're always ready. Number two, they're always humble. Number three, it's always about God. And our last thing we see, number four, always undeterred. Always undeterred. So the last two verses for tonight is verse 19 and 20. And it reads here, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Well, this is how the enemy works. God is getting through to the people. The name of Jesus is, is being shared with the city uh, in Lystra there. And here's Satan coming, wanting to stop it all. And so these Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Now, we don't know, did they come for business maybe or for work or something? Maybe. Or maybe they heard Paul and Barnabas was in Lystra. Remember, in both cities, these Jews didn't like Paul. Remember, they tried to poison the minds and they chased them out. And their life was threatened in the city of Antioch, right? 
So these, these guys, they're, they're angry. They're bitter. They want to get Paul and Barnabas. Maybe they heard they're in Lystra. So they come to Lystra. And then what did they do? Well, they do what they did in Iconium, what we saw last time. They poisoned the minds of the people there and turned the people against Paul and Barnabas, having persuaded the crowds. How evil and wicked that is. How evil. You know, one of the things that is listed in Galatians 5, I mentioned, you know, the works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit, is division, being divisive. And that's what these guys came in. I, I mentioned to you the other day, yeah, you know, if you see division, Satan's at work. He's, he's wanting to, to create this kind of atmosphere to what? To stop the gospel from going out. To stop the church. To stop Jesus and his name to be glorified. So here's these guys. They come in. They persuade the crowds. And what did they do? They stoned Paul. They stoned, threw stones on him. Now that's a Jewish thing, but the whole city came out and joined in. And maybe the Jews started it. But they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, left him there for dead. Now, as we read, he's going to get up. So was Paul really dead here? Or maybe he was like Princess Bride, mostly dead. No. (laughs) Did he pass out, get knocked unconscious? They thought he was dead and dragged him out. I mean, I'm sure if you get stoned, you're going to have concussions. I'm sure you have bruises and all this stuff. Yeah, I don't, we don't know the extent of it. Now, some, some say, well, maybe um, uh, commentators differ on this, that, well, maybe he, he was or maybe he wasn't. Some even think, well, perhaps it could be. Some, some don't. Um, they, they have a, other, um, um, what do you call it, a, proof of it's not but some think that remember in second corinthians 12 that paul talks about that he was taken up to heaven and he saw a vision of heaven but to keep him his pride down he had uh, a thorn in the flesh right and god he asked god to take it away three times god said no my grace is sufficient for you um uh, I'm, I'm strong in your weakness right when i'm weak i'm strong but that all Paul was talking about all that because he had this, this, he went to heaven, he said. And he talks in third person, but he's really talking about him. Is it this time? I don't know. It could be. Um, some say no because of this, this, it isn't. But I don't know. What, what if he, uh, this was the time? I don't know. But either way, he was dead or they thought he was dead. They drag him out and they leave him for dead outside the city. Well, then in verse 20, but when the disciples gathered around him. Can you imagine? He seems dead, looks dead. So disciples. Now, there's, there's some saved believers there in the city, right? And we, I already mentioned, that's where Timothy is from. His, his mom, the grandma. So there's some believers there in the city who came of faith there in, in Lystra. Well, these are the disciples. They come and gather around. Perhaps they're like weeping. Perhaps they're like, oh, I can't believe this happened. Perhaps they're praying. Yeah. Perhaps they're having a little memorial. I, perhaps. But can you imagine as they gathered about him, around him, all of a sudden it says he rose up. He got up. Whoa. What? Huh? And now we, we don't see any written that he said something maybe he got him said hey guys <laughs> how are you how are you doing how's your day going mine not so good <laughs> i don't know but he got up everyone thought he was dead i believe yeah they dragged him out stoned him he gets up and then look what he does and entered the city what city lystra he goes back into, through the, city, the, the gates, back into the city, and probably to those people who had stoned him. Isn't that crazy? A miracle has happened. But Paul goes back. I mean, normally you think if you get stoned, 
by a whole mob of people that you would stay away from them because it can happen again, right? Um, I don't know, I'd, I'd be full of fear and I'd be totally worried about it. I'd, be, I'd get out of there. Well, thank you, God. You revived me. You raised me. Whatever that is, I'm out of here. But what did Paul do? He went back into the city to those who tried to kill him or killed him. Would you do that? I don't know. I don't know. But maybe Paul thought, hey, this is an opportunity. (laughs) Maybe they'll really listen now. I don't know. I was just thinking in my mind, he's probably still bruised, bleeding, looks even worse than he did before the stoning. (laughs) And, and, And probably, maybe he's thinking, hey, this is an opportunity for me to share that. You know what? Jesus bled on the cross for your sins. Maybe it was a powerful message you know, going back and seeing this miracle happen. Just crazy to me. He went back into the city. Crazy. But then we read, and on the next day, so he spent a whole day there, he went on to with Barnabas to Derby, and we're going to see a little bit of that next time. Even that, I would think, how could you travel? Maybe God healed, really healed him. I mean, even that, I think, well, I need a break today. <laughs> you know, I need a day off. Actually, I need a week off after this whole traumatic experience, right? But not Paul. Not Paul. Paul's like, I'm not going to lose a day here. This is for Jesus. I'm not going to lose a day. So you can see. These missionaries were always undeterred. Do you see that? These missionaries were always undeterred. And that's a meek heart. That's what meekness is. Power and the control. But you, you don't stop. You don't give up. You, you keep going. You still have compassion for those who stoned you. You have compassion for those who hurt you. You're undeterred in your mission for Jesus Christ. And these missionaries were always undeterred. C.H. Spurgeon said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. (laughs) I like that. Can you imagine? Two of them. (laughs) Noah, hurry up! It's it's raining, hurry up! (laughs) No, they probably started early. But that's that perseverance. Not giving up. This man uh, named Chia Boyu, a Chinese man, he first attempted to climb Mount Everest in 1975. He was forced back by storms that hit really close to the summit, and he couldn't make it. He didn't make it because of the storms. Well, during that time, an accident happened, and he lost both of his feet on that climb. But he was undeterred. He didn't give up. He kept on trying. And on his fifth attempt now, fifth attempt, at the age of 69, he finally conquered the 29,000 foot mountain. And he became the third double amputee to succeed. Amazing. That goal, yeah? The snails have to go, we got to make it to the ark. We don't want to drown. Or this guy... I can conquer mountain efforts. That's how we need to be in our mission and what God has called us to do in our ministry in where he has us today in your, in, in your relationships, in your marriage, how God is using you in your family and in your workplace as a, a mission field there, in church where you serve and w- wherever that is, we're going to be attacked. We're going to come against opposition the enemy's going to pull all the stops out to try and stop you and discourage you and stop Jesus being glorified, stop God being glorified, stop the gospel going on, stop people coming to be saved or seeds planted or, or people prayed for or miracles to happen. He doesn't want that. So he's going to come against you. But we must, like these guys, always be undeterred. What's, what, what, what's deterring you right now? What's, what's 
trying to stop you from you accomplishing the mission God's given you. I know it's hard. I know it's hurtful. It can be frustrating, debilitating. We fight all kinds of things, don't we? Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's, maybe it's mental. Maybe it's the spiritual oppression. But understand, God is in it. If God is giving this mission, he's in it. God sent Paul to Lystra, Paul and Barnabas. And though he was stoned, I'm not done yet. God said, I'm not done. So he goes back in. He was undeterred. And so it is with us. We need to keep at it. And you know what? Paul kept at it all the way to the end of his life. Tradition said he was beheaded. And he knew he was going to die. And right before his death, he wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.7. You know what he said? I have fought the good fight. Right? I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's Paul undeterred in everything that he did for God. That's what we got to be. That's meekness. We are missionaries, you know, every one of us. Maybe we're not on the foreign field, but we're right here, lights and witnesses for Jesus Christ. And God uses us to further the kingdom in our church, at our workplace, in our home. We are all missionaries. And we need to keep at it, keep going with that meekness. I'll close with this. This Hindu in India was just really perplexed and confused about this missionary who was really persecuted. And so he thought about it, and then he told the, this persecuted missionary this, You are like a mango tree. All its branches hang with fruit. It is then assailed with stones and clubs by passerbys. How does it respond? Well, by dropping fruit at every blow at the feet of those who attack it, assail it. At the close of the season, it stands scarred and battered, its leaves torn off, its branches broken. But, this guy said, the next year, it bears more fruit than the previous year. Oh, I read that, I thought, wow, God. I don't want to be defeated here. I'm going to grow more. I want to grow more in the fruits of the Spirit. Self-control, that love, joy, patience, gentleness, kindness, no matter what's thrown at me. That is the meekness we need to have in this world. Not try and preserve ourselves, not build up our pride, not fight tooth and nail for our quote-unquote rights with cruel words and actions, doing it in the wrong way, but continue to bear fruit. Let the abuse be dealt with God. God will deal with that. But we need to follow the Spirit, powerfully showing everyone that God is in us. God is in us. And that salvation in Jesus Christ is real. So let's surrender our life to God. Let's surrender whatever He wants us to do, whatever may come our way. Let's have that meekness, which is not weakness, but power under control. The power of the Spirit under the control of the Spirit, working through the life of a believer, you and I. And that's meekness in missionaries. Let's pray. Lord, our, our faith, God, is fed tonight. And we want to grow. We want to grow in our faith and in your workings in our life, God, to, to see that whatever happens as a child of God, you're there, Lord, and you're moving. But let us make the choice tonight to not walk in the flesh, but walk in the Spirit to deny ourself, to, to no longer yield ourselves to unrighteousness, but yield ourselves to righteousness, as Romans 6 says, 
to be people of God truly that are spirit-filled, empowered by the Spirit, and exhibiting fruits of the Spirit as we grow and mature in you. Lord, our, our faith is in you. That no matter what, you will take care of us. That you will be with us. And God, with that kind of heart that we see here, with, a, with meekness in our heart, Lord, with, with understanding this more and more, God, we're going to see you work. We're going to experience you like never before. And we're going to see miracles happening. We're going we're to see you using us above and beyond whatever we could ask or think. We, we're going to see you giving us wisdom, giving us words to say, giving us the strength to go on, giving us your heart, a compassion and love for others who need you so much, giving us Grace to give and forgiveness. Giving us mercy to give. Giving us, Lord, perseverance to be undeterred in the mission you've given us. So, Lord, here we are. You are our God, Lord. We know you love us. And we know that you are everything. So, Jesus, may your name be glorified. May you and your love work in our lives in such a great way, Lord, that whatever issues inside of us, whatever problems we wrestle, God, thank you that we're free in you and we're free to follow you and to live out this mission you've given us. So thank you, God. We want to lift your name up, Lord, in how we live and what we say, what's in our mind, what's in our heart, We want to lift your name up in this mission you've given us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.